Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster Sam Baker. This week's guest is the comedian, writer and all-round screen hogger Sarah Pascoe. Host of The Great British Sewing Bee, presenter of Last Woman on Earth and ubiquitous panel show presence. She has written and starred in her own sitcom, Out of Her Mind. And that was before TV realised women could write sitcoms too. She's also the author of two brainy non-fiction bestsellers, Animal and Sex, Love, Money. Trying to fit in makes you seem so weird. And if if you are studying other people to copy, like an anthropologist, and, and then you get it so wrong. Sarah came and sat in my kitchen with Sausage the Cat, who is still a bit poorly after his encounter with E. coli. Thanks for asking to talk about her debut novel, Weirdo, the tale of a woman desperate to seem like a normal, whatever that is, well-adjusted grown-up. We talked about everything from cat love, the rhesus monkey theory of motherhood, Happy Valley and her short-lived teenage rebellion, to IVF, the importance of sharing salary information, how she learnt to stop doing things resentfully and why she won't be sad to be done with menstruation. Oh, well, thank you. For, you're okay with cats, aren't you? If I love cats, yeah. He's not been very well, so he's a bit sulky. He had E. coli, oh. but I am oh, totally no. wasting time telling you about my oh, cats, no, E. coli. Oh, no. My husband, annoyingly, is allergic to cats. So we've got a dog, oh, no. but that's as far as it will ever go until I choose cats over him. Yeah, well, <laughs> that day. could happen. Exactly. Yeah. I had a whole pod- podcast with Dawn Porter, doing a portrait about that. Yeah. Picking cats over your husband. But, yeah. So we won't go there it would again. Be, uh, it's, uh, yeah, what is it? It's a uh, consolation prize. That's what I think. Well, the husband, not the cat. Yeah, so after, if it's like, oh no, my marriage broke down, but cats. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, funny, you'll get yeah. cats. Yeah. My mum's got five, but yeah. Um, she she got a cat. My mum had never had a pet, and then she, well, she'd never looked after a pet, and she loved the cat so much, she then bred the cat and kept all the kittens. Oh my God. And that's what she's got now. And she, and she, she's, she must be 61. But she talks about it. She goes, love is love. And it's like, it's the truest love she's yeah. ever known, her cats. Do you know what? This is really sad. But I do, I really do agree with her because Sausage has been, um, he's been really ill. Uh, he had, uh, basically, because he had, he's a rescue cat and he had an accident. So he's always, his pelvis was crushed and he's got no tail. Oh. Um, and so he's always had, he's had a bit of problem down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we got E. coli and it's caused all sorts of problems. And we were told the prognosis was really poor. And he was like, I'm just see how it's a wreck. Yeah. It seems to be rallying. Okay, now. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Pets. So, so we're straight. I, I think it's, I don't think it's weird. I think it's a nonverbal love, which means that it's really tactile and it's really, language is a thing that exists above. Well, this is a couple of boyfriends ago, but we had a cat who went missing. 
for five days. Oh. And I started dressing as his gigs. I was dressing in a cat costume, yeah, because I didn't know how to function in my life because they were, yeah. I couldn't say to people, you know, it, I didn't feel like mother, son or anything, it, but it felt like I had lost someone from my life and worse, they might need me and I couldn't find them and I couldn't help them and I couldn't communicate how much I cared yeah. to them. But yeah. So tell, in that case, yeah. and since we're here, <laughs> yeah. I know you want to talk about it. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the rhesus monkey theory of motherhood because it's, yeah, so that's mind blowing. So the Harry Harlow experiment, when, when it's described to you, is the most, it's just the darkest and animal experimentation in general is horrible. And it was sort of, behaviorism but what they wanted to know and this is back when schizophrenia was blamed on cold mothers so psychology was was blamed on mothers in general mothers who weren't nurturing was the worst thing that could happen to a human being and so they had this then essentially the experiment the question was is it is it better to have affectional food for children and they did this experiment where they had robot wire mothers and if you ever look at a picture of them they're so much worse than you even imagine and one of them was very covered with fur and was would give you, it could give like these mechanical hugs. And the babies were taken straight away from their real mothers. I mean, it's just so barbaric. And there's pictures of them clinging, clinging to these soft, oh, soft God. robots, but being starved. And then the other version is that there's loads of milk. There were nipples on it. They could feed as much as they wanted, oh God, but they were made of so wire perverse. and cold. Oh, it's so awful. And then the worst thing, and I couldn't even put this in the book because it's so horrible to write down, but they were then force bred because they didn't want to breed. The, the female monkeys who'd been through this, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, oh there was no uh, instinct in it. They were force bred, had children. I don't think it was completely 100% difference, but the difference they noticed when they had these children was that the ones who'd had affection could sort of mother, but the ones who'd had food and no affection ate the, ate the young was the conclusion. And so then they were like, see, it's mums. Yeah. <laughs> no, if your mum makes you a sandwich but doesn't love you enough, <laughs> you're going to have problems. There's another one of Reese's monkeys, which is really upsetting. <laughs> I which, love how nerdy you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There's one there, and it's really horrible. But um, it basically shows that they will um, share food if each other are starving, even if they're starving. That they have this this empathy with the monkey in the next cage, whereas some ape species don't do that. They look oh. after themselves. Oh. And Reese's are like sh- shoving grapes underneath oh. to, to share. Poor little monkeys. I know, poor little monkeys. And also, but just who decides to do the experiments? Who thinks that's useful to us? Who's yeah. extrapolating? Like, that's what that's I really hate about it. Really. And you can imagine the way you've used it in the book. You can, I mean, imagine like either overhearing someone saying that you're the Reese's monkey mother. Yeah. It's like, wow. Well, teenage girls. Yeah, teenage girls are brutal. <laughs> brutal. And I think, uh, Really, my sister's got my sister's has a just a twelve year old, so not quite a teenager, but they see the world very black and whitely. I really admire it in many, many ways because I think there's an ardentness to mm. a teenage girl that actually really softens through yeah. life as you realize everyone is sort of trying and it, everyone is pretty flawed. But a teenage girl see everyone else as flawed except them, yeah, and um especially their mothers. yeah, what kind of teenager are you? I was lucky. Oh, I was lucky. I had a very, very quick rebellion. And then because it, I felt so guilty about it, it was then over at 14. <laughs> so my mum always says, like, compared to my sisters, so I had a party when my mum was out of the house. I was persuaded to have a party by a girl at school. And um, Were you trying to fit in? Yes. I was trying to be popular. I was trying to kiss a boy, actually, worse than mm. that. I, I, I didn't kiss a boy until I was 16, so it didn't work. <laughs> For anyone listening, thinking, but, but a girl at school had persuaded me that boys would come to this party and it would be at my house, you know, and I'm yeah. suddenly in the centre of the pub and I was very, I was manipulated. And actually I had that sick feeling the entire time. I knew it was wrong and I knew it wasn't going to work, but it was, it'd gone too far. Mm. And people brought alcohol and they brought drugs to my house and the police were called and the neighbours were angry. And so it was incredibly stressful. And I stayed up all night trying to clean up and the house was full of smoke. And your mum's still out. Yeah, she don't, she'd gone out for one night with a boyfriend. So it wasn't like she was on holiday and I had weeks to, and then they came home and I begged her to hit me. (laughs) I I, I I said, please hit me because I just wanted to feel better. And if she'd have slapped me around the face, I could have gone right, okay, now we're even. And she refused. But it did, I, from instantly then, it's like I'd done the worst thing. And yes. I was actually quite well behaved Over after there. that, at least to her. Yeah. But it's that brutal school thing, isn't it? If you're the slightly, either like the slight outlead, the outsider, or 
actually they think you're a total weirdo. Yeah. I think it's really hard trying trying to fit in makes you seem so weird. Mm. And and if and if you are studying other people to copy, uh like a an anthropologist. Yeah. And and then you get it so wrong. I once stole some money from my mum to buy a pair of boots. (laughs) And um Because me and Cheryl had the same. I think she not as badly as me, but we both used to wear my mum's clothes. Cheryl, we, your sister, yeah, my yeah. middle one. So she, we were at the same school and at school discos. So on non-uniform days, we both wore Manchester United kits head to toe. We did not understand why that was a problem. You did support Manchester United. We did support Manchester yeah, United. Shocking. Yes, <laughs> and we thought it was amazing that we had these football kits, and we didn't. So we didn't know how that was wrong. And we both used to wear my mum's clothes to school discos. Because we thought my mum was so beautiful and her clothes were so lovely. So these were like gold lame suits from Next. <laughs> <laughs> and you were what, that 13, 14, yes, 15? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, so yeah, I stole money from my mum wants to buy a pair of boots that I'd seen in a shop. And because I thought these boots were the answer, if I wore them to school, because everyone at school had money and we didn't have money, but these boots were going to transcend that and everyone would go, oh my God. So in my head, this is like, I wouldn't have known any shoe brands, but these are like, Mew Mew or Manolo or something. Yeah, they might have been Gucci yes, or something as far as you were concerned. Yes, but, but they were £30, pounds, black boots, they were not, and they had massive gold buckles on the front. That was what I thought made them look really, like, rich. Yeah. <laughs> and wearing them through the school gates, bearing in mind I'd stolen, hidden them in my bag, put them on, to, and like, this was when my life was going to change, you know, and people instantly being like, what the fuck is she wearing? Yeah, what's she got on her She's feet? got these, like, pussing boots, massive black boots with gold buckles. And then realising, how did I get it wrong again? How did I get it so wrong? It's the trying, isn't it? I mean, I was definitely that kid, and I remember about 13, thinking that if I wore tights and heels to school, I would somehow be cooler, or I only did it once. Just made everything worse. I once gave myself love bites down my arms. (laughs) Because it was the only place I could reach. I bet there's not a teenager who hasn't done that, actually. Yeah, exactly, but that's it. But that's the logic, isn't it? And... And it's not something where you feel safe enough. I'm sure there are people that do have adults in their life where you can say to an adult, like, there's a girl called Alice in my class and she's snogging a boy and she's got like love bites on her neck and it seems like a badge of honour. Yeah. And I want to be like the other girls. I want to be involved in this conversation. So I'm going to suck my own arms <laughs> <laughs> and then go in and pretend I met someone. So they think I've got a boyfriend who's into arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been snogging. I think yeah. people must have parents like that now that they can talk to about so. that. But I just think it was always like the message I got was always, um, sorry, mum, because mm. you've all listened, mm. um, is that love bites look cheap. Of course, though, because yeah. they have had a whole life since school. I think that's it. Is it what seems really, really massive to you at 13, 14, 15? You explain to an adult and it is funny to them. Yeah. And maybe that's what's really disappointing about confessing any of it to an adult. It's what they say is you won't care about this person one day. Life is so long. But you don't care, do you? Right now, you don't care. You just no. want to fit in. I remember and... being told while at school that school wasn't important. And then and I would think, but why are you why making me go? Yeah. <laughs> why are you making me go? It's my entire life. And you're dismissing it and saying, by the time you're at university, you'll never even think about it, which isn't true because I talk about it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, uh, I mean, I think that one of the things is it feels like there's a space for blokes to be weird. Like that there's like a, I mean, there's a whole Hollywood strand of weirdness for Mm. men. Like the geek gets the girl and, you know, God knows they own a lot of Mm. personal data now. But like being a weird girl, it's not really, it's not a path for that. Well, it's interesting you say that because Carrie Ed and I have started a podcast, which is, and, and essentially it's a book podcast, but what we're really interested in is books that are about outsiders, books that make you feel better about yourself. Mm. And unfortunately, we are really struggling to find male authors because we're finding so many women authors do write about weird women. Oh, is that a recent-ish thing, I, do you I've think? got no idea. And it, and it might just be that I'm, you know, they say that, you know, everyone's very homosexual in their reading choices. It might just be that we keep finding women writers writing about women that we love. But all, I, I, I think that there's, and also we have this theory, or I had this theory, you know, Claire Dedder has just written this book about monsters. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. I love it. I think weirdos are unconfident monsters. And monsters are just confident weirdos. And that's where there might be a gender thing involved. Yes. Yes. I think that weirdos... The confidence of the mediocre man. Yes. So the confidence of the brilliant man is yes. like, whoa. Yes, exactly. When you were a teenager, I suppose what, the, what I'm thinking is, when did you get confident in yourself? When did you just 
When did you decide who you were, Mm. decide what your personality was? I think like lots of comedians, I have a seesaw between overconfidence and insecurity. It's a really common thing with uh, comics. And um, I describe it like a seesaw because it's not necessarily an enjoyable, constant. Mm. It's not not the kind of piece of self-belief that you would want in the creative fields. It's oh my God, I hate everyone. Why have I lost this competition? I'm the best. Why does no one respect me? And and then absolutely, I'm not good enough to do this. How dare I stand with a microphone being the loudest person in the room? Who am I? Who would want to listen to me? Um, Loads of people, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes yes, sometimes no. And then there's a middle ground. Yeah, you can't please everyone, but some people want what mm. you're serving. You know, there is a, there is a middle ground, um, but a sort of vacillating. I think my current show... It's oddly about something that happened when I was 14 and I auditioned for Michael Barrymore to go on his reality show, Barrymore's My Kind of People. show is about success, yes. isn't it? Yeah. But what oddly really happened when I was 40, all these years later from 14, is realising that that person I was at 14, everything I didn't like about her, which was that she went to... I went on stage and I burst into tears, basically. And on the way out of the shopping centre, people said to me that I'd been brave to get up there. And I only heard that 22 years later. That's so interesting. 22 years later, I heard what people had said. They had said things like, well done for giving it a go. That, and I, and I suddenly, all this time later, I thought that part of my personality, which I don't value or haven't valued, mm. is the reason I have my job. That part, the, the chutzpah, the, um, the, the, the part that doesn't think, that goes, no, I just want everyone to look at me, whether I'm prepared or not, that kind of feeling. Um, for the first time, I valued it at 40. And I realised that had been an engine that had kept, yeah. that had got me my job that I'm really grateful for and I really love. And it finally made sense to me. That's what happened at 40 that made you think that? I did another singing competition on television. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did, I auditioned and, and Jerry Halliwell. It was, it was so stupid. It was so stupid. My agent sent me this, it was a Christmas special of a singing competition on BBC One. And she said, these kind of things are really tacky. You know, it's Gemma Collins and some people from Love Island are on it and some sort of like yeah. retired rugby players. And I said, and I, I said to her, you know, I've never, I don't talk about this, but when I was 14, I tried to sing on TV. And I said, for my teenage self, well, she knew one day I was going to be on this kind of show and meet Jerry Halliwell. And it was, it was for me, it was like, this is the end of my movie. This is the thing that makes yeah. everything make sense. Yeah, and then, you were like completing the narrative arc. Yes, completing the narrative arc, apart from exactly the same thing happened, which was it became far too nerve wracking. I kept thinking too much about being a teenager and my throat closed up before I started singing and it just sounded terrible. And it sounded terrible, and which would have been fine if I'd been there as a comic to just have fun. But I was there to show off and be a good singer. For you, it was more serious It was than really that. serious. And then Jerry Halliwell told me I was out of tune. And I had to, and I was really aware of like, oh, it's so different crying at 14. I'm now, you know, almost 40, about to cry on national television. I'm now here as a comic. No one thinks I'm there to sort of... To yeah. sing prettily for they my teenage okay self. it's okay to be funny. Yeah, well, yeah. I should, you're supposed yeah. to be funny. You're supposed to be bad at things and then funny about it. That's why they book you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just too earnest and, and I'd built it up so much in my head. And it was that. That's what realised it. I was like, have I, why have I made the same mistake again? Why did it matter so much? Why did I put myself in that position? Because my agent had said to me, don't do it. And on the train home, I remember I bought a baguette from Manchester Pret. And I thought, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't... <laughs> taking the pain away and I called her and she said I did tell you not to do it she said this is the kind of thing that happens you just thought it would be a laugh yeah I said they were so mean to me they were so mean she said that's <laughs> that's, the sh- the that's, that's the show yeah you're being judged on singing I, said, I don't want to be judged <laughs> <laughs> would you yeah. do Strictly I got asked to do Strictly a couple of years ago so it's the first time I've got asked I've always wanted to do it in that way of yeah it's the one thing that I think I'd like to do but I know I wouldn't even last I'd be first off that's it you have to sort of delude yourself that you're one of the ones where they go oh my god you're a natural dancer (laughs) yeah I know and I'm not a natural dancer once I had a DJ in the nightclub turn the music off to make fun of me he said I was like something out of Jurassic Park so and I'm hearing myself (laughs) say that I was a teenager yeah but I thought you said 36 I was 16 at Hollywood in Montford but I need to hear myself say that and go it's not some magic where you've been hiding no. dancing um, talent your entire life. It would be quick and again, it would be judgment. But we, I yeah. was, when I was first doing IVF, I, they had a meeting and it was actually odd because I, I, I was having Zoom therapy with my therapist who was specialised in fertility and miscarriage. And as she was talking, uh, a 
text came up from my agent on my phone, which said, strictly want a meeting. And then I was just sort of like, and I said, oh, it was actually great that it happened during therapy because I said to her, this is a prime example. I said, because my entire journey with infertility, I always kept telling myself it was fine because now I could do that job. Now it's fine. It hasn't worked. I can do that job now. Or, you know, actually what's really good is I can do this work because, you know, this isn't working. And it was a prime, just about to start IVF. And I thought, I can't be going to IVF hoping it's not going to work so that I can do strength no, B. No. And it was, no, that'd be too much of a head fuck. <laughs> yeah, too much of a head fuck. But I did the meeting with Strictly because I wanted to know what it was like and what they asked about. Because I'm so fascinated in the process. Because I had signed friends an NDA. Doing, no, I haven't. No. I haven't signed an NDA. What did they ask? They are, they are, they're trying to assess your personality. They're trying to assess who... Positivity, I guess, that you're going to yeah. come out every week and have a good positive attitude to dance. Yeah, and how bouncing back you yes, are. Yes, bouncing yeah. back, that you do care, that you'd be there for the right reasons. Mm. And that you can cope with Craig telling you your shit every but, week. Yes, but also press intervention. They do also have to sort of work out what skeletons you have in your closet and they need to know them first because they can protect you if they know. Cool. Because you suddenly yeah. become of interest to... I guess the Sun newspaper yeah, and you, you haven't ever been pers- yeah. a personality rather than yeah. your job. But that must have already happened to you a bit with sewing bee. Not really. I mean, it's not as big as Strictly, no. but it's still a, you're on primetime telly. Yes. I, I, but I don't think in the same way where it would be a big splash, whereas Strictly, anything they can find on you, mm. I think would be a, they could sell. And make it news. Sewing bee, I think, is much more. I mean, it's much more about the sewers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a nice thing. Is yeah. there anything they could have found about you that you haven't already mined in your comedy? No, but what what my worry for Strictly was was I've talked about sex too much, and it's you know it's a family show. And if you go on YouTube, because I said to them, you know, yeah. and they said, oh no, we've had Chris Ramsey, we've had this, we've had comedians before. The members of the and obviously they've been through it. Members of the public understand that comics talk about very adult content. Yeah. And it's not the program's fault if they employ people who've talked about adult things. Yeah. So they've also, yeah, they've been through it before. Yeah. So you're, well, I'm, I think it would have been just too weird to have been doing IVF and hoping it didn't work so you could. Yeah. So, so, like, so instead I had to. Samba with. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. So instead <laughs> I had to. Yes. Yeah. So instead I had to do the opposite. I did ask, I said, if IVF works, I would be four months pregnant. And they said, yeah, you can't. Do strictly. No, we can't take. No, we can't whiz you around in a wheelchair the to keep you safe. Wouldn't exactly. Cover I know that. Yeah, there's no comfortableness of that. And also, if you, especially if you, I think if you're, a, if you, if you have a dancing history, it's fine to keep dancing, but you can't start a new hobby. No. <laughs> Early pregnancy. No, like really intense exercise. Yeah. So you had reconciled yourself, hadn't you, to not having children? Yes. Um, as I had. Yeah, forty was my cutoff. When I read Sheila Hetty's book, which I think was about 30 years ago, I loved the whole just having a line where you decide, okay, that's it. Mm. And I transitioning from might not have children to didn't have children and the relief of that. Yeah, totally. And the relief of that, because you, I, I was thinking that you actually did IVF at the point, everybody stops asking you when you're going to have children. Yeah. So at the point you would have been free yes. of the yeah. pressure to do it what made yeah. you what made the change well what made me is my husband <laughs> and I don't want to make oh, it right. sound like it was really <laughs> patriarchal uh, two things if COVID hadn't happened so I had like lots of people who especially lots of people who work freelance I had a year's work cancelled in two phone calls yeah I was in Finland we were halfway through a job one phone call said this isn't happening this isn't happening and that was like, oh my God. And especially because we've been out of the country, we didn't know how bad it was. I've been out of the country for 12 days. In yeah. those 12 days, it was the days where people were stockpiling toilet paper and buying yeah, pasta. It was so weird. And we were in a country that had like three cases of COVID. So it was very, very different. But it still felt like an exaggeration even then though. It's, it, so that's it. So we, when we got back to Heathrow, which was on a plane, so we were told to leave Finland. They said they're closing the borders. And this all now felt like a drama. And then we got to Heathrow and there was nothing in the MS. And that's when it was hitting us. Like, what has happened here? Yeah. Like, what has happened? Like being a disaster yes. movie. Yeah. It's odd, isn't it? And that's so recent. And we're still processing it. Or just, yeah, the fact that that's what can happen to you. So, so the big thing was that I lost all my work. 
and I didn't flourish in those conditions. Yeah, other comedians I, wrote books. I know. I honestly, <laughs> I honestly have a theory that anyone who's, and I'm sorry if this is you, yeah. I, anyone who was able to creatively flourish in that situation is a bit psychopathic. Yeah, though, I was hopeless. It was miserable. It was miserable and sad, yeah. and that was a collective communal misery. Those people who just went, oh, yeah, well, I know, I work from home anyway, so I just carried on. It's like, who even are you? No. Yeah, we did nothing. I mean, we were at home. We didn't, I, I didn't write anything. I didn't even write, I mean... So you decided to have loads of sex and loads of hormones. <laughs> it's what happened was we had really big conversations where I said, basically, I couldn't do it anymore. The cycle of every month thinking I could be living half of the month, but am I? And is this this? And, you know, mm. I actually think you can imagine so much is happening in your body. Or just the hormones of being due on is so similar to what you can Google as early pregnancy yeah. very cruelly. And my husband said, can we really, really try? And I'd been really... I'd, the, the medical side of things just really intimidated me and I was embarrassed. And I also had sort of um, very working class attitudes of like, I don't think you should spend money trying to have children when there's already children existing. Yeah, I had so, attitudes like that. Yeah. There's a lot of overcoming. And my husband just said, look, your boy said 40 should cut off. Can can Because he's younger than me. He said, can you give me two more years? And we just really try. And if it ha- if I hadn't had such an empty diary... <laughs> a completely empty diary. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did understand his point. The that hormones mess you around, don't they? Someone gave me quite good advice about the hormones, which was that the ones for sort of the, and, I, and I'm not, this is not me saying it would be this for everyone, but the ones in terms of like growing the eggs are the hormones from the early part of your cycle. So if in your early cycle you feel okay, and then after ovulation you crash, which is what I would experience they said you might be all right and it was good because then I wasn't gonna I wasn't thinking oh these injections are gonna make me go crazy yeah I kept remembering this early cycle you're getting a lot of the early cycle I I just it's just very very emotional but the other side of it is having been you know we'd been trying for five years it also felt like actively doing something yeah rather than just waiting and hoping yeah it felt like okay this is us really trying and then because it worked and we got pregnant and stayed pregnant. Now I'm just evangelical about it. And I love talking to other people who are going through it because there is this chance. And especially as 40 was my cutoff, how strange to have had a son at, how strange to have had a son at 40. And then because we had frozen embryos to try again and now to be having another son at 42. So this pregnancy is from the same... Yes, they're twins technically, it's which amazing, is magic. Yeah, yeah, Twins, but two years younger. Yeah. It's how amazing crazy. that they can keep it in a freezer, five days old. And then it, I mean, it's absolutely, all of it is existential. How's it changed you? How's it changed your approach to work, life? I think I, it hasn't changed me, but my life is complete drudgery. <laughs> my favourite thing to say around the house is, I used to be someone. <laughs> I used to be Sarah Pascoe. I used to be someone, okay? I used to have a, I used to, I used to have a, I used to not be wearing pyjamas. <laughs> I used to, it's, 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 it's drudgery. Lots and just lots of very, very boring housework and a, and, a, and a constant Sisyphean cycle of they nap. You very, very quick, as quickly as you can tidy up and then they mess it all up again. Just over and over. Constant, constant, constant. Has it affected your husband's work? So this year he went away for four and a half months. I don't think he enjoyed, I don't think he knew how hard it was going to be. Mm. And it was a work offer that was so huge. There was no way either of us, I think if I had said to him, no, you can't go, that would actually have been the end of us as a relationship. Yeah. Eventually. Too big an opportunity. Too big an opportunity. And also when you don't take those big opportunities, my husband's 36, relatively early in his career, Mm. you spend the rest of your career wondering what happened if you'd done that job. Whereas he did get to do the job and he will always know. Yeah. And he will always yeah. know, and we will always know how hard it was. And I know that there are single parents, but it was horrific being pregnant with a toddler. My toddler's very energetic mm. <laughs> uh, and it's been constant, and he doesn't sleep. So great. Yes. <laughs> so it's a recipe for misery. Um, but I did keep th- thinking to myself, I wouldn't rather be in Australia filming, not seeing him for months. That isn't. Yeah. So, I did, so I, did, I did keep reminding myself, this is awful, but this is a choice. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what does success look like to you now? I think success might look and feel a lot like boredom. I think, I think the, the spikes necessitate crash. So probably what we don't think of as, as success or appreciate as success, you know, like when you get sick or someone you love gets sick and you suddenly go, all those years of health, <laughs> not yeah. appreciating, not being grateful yeah. for it. I think there's a similar thing going on. Being alive itself, 
being alive for, without without huge worries, especially not financial worries or health worries. Mm. Actually, I think that probably is as good as it gets. But, you yeah. know, we're hungry dopamine creatures who want something a bit more. But I think every time you do get a bit more, there will be a balance. A whoop, it gets taken away again. And you do get hooked. <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely true. You do get hooked on the highs, the kind of like the on stage mm. moment. But I think that's that's probably one of the best descriptions I've heard of it because of that reaching that point where I would rather be happy. I'm not happy, mm. but just like like what I do, do it well and not like not have those kind of, I don't know, the, yeah, the highs and the mm. lows. And I don't know whether that's, whether it's an age thing, whether it's uh, too many low after <laughs> you have yes. enough lows. Or re- yeah, realising oh, that there's yeah. always going to be a price for it afterwards. Mm. But really with stand-up, and I think I'm now finding this with writing, the really, 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 really enjoyable bit is the new idea, is yeah. the the hope at the beginning of a process and the bit that's a struggle is that it's finished and you can't change it and now it gets judged. Yeah. But one yeah. thing I really loved about it, and it's actually not just weirdo, but it's about your your work really, is that you do kind of, it's not like you don't go there in terms of, I'm going to make this really rude and make mm. everybody go, oh, that's yeah. excruciating. You just tell the truth. Like, yeah. I don't think, I can't remember. I've really been trying to remember. I don't think I've ever read a book where a woman has changed a tampon. Or that real honesty about sometimes sex is boring, sometimes it's painful, sometimes you forget to be in the moment, you yes. suddenly realise you've been writing shopping list. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, yeah. but that's the truth. Yes. There were, there's things, I, this is very precocious, but when I was at university and we were studying Samuel Beckett, and it was like Samuel Beckett was the first person to have a character have it do a wee, and then James Joyce was the first char- writer to have a character do a poo. And I thought, well, where are all the periods then? And I know yeah. it has got much, much better. I've noticed massive things in recent novel writing. Number one, not assuming everyone in a novel is white. <laughs> but yeah. Writers, white writers have got much, much better at signalling yeah. <laughs> from surnames and descriptions. It's like, don't just assume the entire world is white because we did for a really long time yeah and yeah toilet habits periods I, I what I wanted was that her menstrual cycle I needed her moods <laughs> to be like someone who has bad PMT yeah I needed to know when she was ovulating yeah. <laughs> and she yeah. was going to be sort of just slightly calmer yeah, yeah you then- go through her cycles with her and I think that's one of the things that people like people talk about it but they don't actually demonstrate it yeah so you might yeah somebody in a book I mean there's so much like I know it's been called mm. sad girl Lip, mm, but there are mm. so many of those books and it's all it's like basically oh I've got PMS it's not just like being in the mm. PMS which is now, the other thing is the financial thing that I was reading. Oh, you know, you read lots and lots of books and it's so rare that money actually exists. People just get what they want to. You know, if they want mm. to travel somewhere, they just get on a train. They never mm. have to weigh up how much the train ticket is. And as someone who, for the majority of my life, would have had to check how much was on my Oyster card, I kept thinking, well, where's all the actual real people where money is constant? Economics is constant maths of can I do that? Do I need to go home? Can I buy this round? Yeah, and I can't afford to leave yeah. because I've got nowhere to go yes. and I've got loads of debt. But that, well, it forces story, doesn't it? Um, there's a point where Sophie can't get an Uber home. And so, yes, yeah. the story is moved by that. Yeah, it can be an influence. Yeah, yeah. It's like that classic, and I want to say ITV drama, but isn't it yeah. just ITV? Because I was watching a BBC One earlier this week where the lead female character who no, one of the lead female mm. characters, was a police officer, of course, because that's all I watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, had, she lived in this, like, palatial Georgian house. And mm. obviously her kitchen had a kitchen island the size of this room and those great big crittle, win- you know, all along the back of the house. And I just thought, she's not, she's a moderately senior police officer. Mm. She must come from money. Yes, they yeah. always. Yeah, and they don't justify default, it. Yeah. How is, I mean, I find... Often on this podcast, mm. women are really, really reluctant to talk about money. Oh, I like talking about money. Because I, because, because I think otherwise you're gaslighting. When I was poor, and I was poor for a long time, you know, after university, I did have debt. University debt, which then escalated because I didn't, I didn't understand they would start charging interest. <laughs> when yeah. I left university, I was very um, ignorant of lots of things. Anyway, I, all I wanted was rich people to admit or mm. tell me what it was like. And, and and instead, what I got is people saying, you know, money can't buy you happiness. But, well, it buys you a lot of things. Yeah, it can't buy you happiness. And it's, but, but only people with money say that. Yeah, and always. also 
if you could wipe out your debt, if you don't have debt, to me, that would have been happiness. There's this cloud that sits around you, constant sort of worrying and all these kind of things. And so I, I wanted to know. And so I am, I'm, I, I'm quite gross with money, but then also it's quite good with comedy and with women because I've had other experiences where people tell you what they're getting for something, which means you can negotiate better. Or Do you find honestly, you got, did you used to find you got paid less than men? Not necessarily. There are situations where some men or their representation are really good at fighting for things, but mm. some of those men are now really good at telling you what they're on. But there's been situations, I don't want to necessarily name the men because mm. they haven't given permission, but they'll do the opposite. They'll check what you're on to check you're on the same as them. Oh, that's really yeah, good, really good because they know the same thing's going on. Um, and there's certain situations where I once, I was asking for more money from a TV channel for hosting because the money was relatively low and they use an example of a man on another channel getting less than me going well he's only on this and they're on their third series and I thought you know I need, I need to tell that man that not only is he's he's being underpaid he's being used as an example by other production companies because yeah, people know that his wages and yeah. and I've had a situation where you know we were on a series and everyone had had a little bump up you know say at 500 pounds up we'd all gone up fairly mm. apart from one whose agent had just signed the contract and I had and I thought oh god you know it's so political but I'm gonna have to tell him just so you know don't get your agent has to negotiate everyone else got their money up this series and your agent just signed off and he's like well we're just so happy I said I know you are it's but it's the mm. it's the principle of it I don't want to create issues it doesn't create an issue if you just get a bump up with everyone else that's fair yeah you're so, not demanding to be paid twice as much because you think you're funnier no it's not an ego thing it's not an ego thing and as is happening with the strikes in America is these are the people who have the money of course the human thing is you go but it's ridiculous to get paid that amount for a day's work and, and so so well, you can understand yeah. why people do shrug and go well you know we, we would do this for free aren't we lucky but at the same time yes but it's a business but yeah. it's also but it's only creative work where you're ever expected to do it for free because you're yes. so lucky yeah you know, you would never, I, I know this is a really hackneyed example, but no one would ever say it to a plumber or an electrician yeah. or yeah. my dad's a bricklayer. He would never have laid a brick for free. He just no. thought you were having a laugh. Yeah. You know? yeah. No one would ever contact you and go, it's really good for your profile if you come and build yeah. this wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, come and build me a house that will yeah. look great on your CV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, I, when I get asked to do things for free, especially if it's because um, small organisations or like universities and things, I say to them how unhelpful it is especially when it's a feminist event, which is what I would normally be asked to do, mm. to have an expectation that the two things go hand in hand, that we're so desperate to talk about feminism that you don't have to ask a university yeah. for a budget for it. I said, really get into the habit of paying women. Like that's a really huge thing in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of the number of, uh, I don't get asked it anymore because I always said, pay me and I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and that's and that's a scary thing um, as a woman and a freelance. So you say, I will only do it if you pay me properly and mm. this is my flat rate or like all those International Women's Day events mm. where they don't pay. Yeah. And then it's just like, wow, International Women's Day for free. Yes. I always say to them, you can say to people, you can donate your feedback, you know, all of these kind of things. But yeah, really get in the habit of if your event isn't actually making money, then should mm. you be doing the event? Should everyone be giving up an evening for what purpose? Yeah. <laughs> With comedy yeah. nights, it's quite often that. It's like, well, we might break even. And why are we doing it? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it it's not helping international women. No. Do yeah. you feel like you could say that now from where you're standing, though? And when would young Sarah oh, would have totally done it? What I've done is a lot of things resentfully. And I now, yeah. what I now know is that it's not good for them and it's especially not good for you. When mm. you say yes to something, you know, it's six months off. And then on the day, you go, why have I agreed to this? I hate this. I don't want to do it. Uh, Maria Bamford has a routine in her last stand-up show, which is about when you get asked to do something you don't want to do. She was asked to go back to her old, old university and talk to the students, mm. and they offered her no money. And a lawyer, I think it's a lawyer, no, an accountant friend of her said, always quote an exorbitant fee. And then she said, why? I said, because either they'll say no, they can't afford you, or they'll pay you it. That's exactly what my agent said. I was yeah. asked to do something. I was like, it was host a day for mm. a corporate business. She was like, what's your, have you got a going rate? And I was like, I literally have no idea. I'm also no interest. And she mm. was like, look, okay, I'm going to ask for 10 grand. Yeah. Either they'll pay it and you'll yes. be a lot richer and so will I, mm. or they won't and yeah. you won't care. So yeah. Exactly. I had a boss once who said to me, you're a rubbish negotiator because you always care too much. And the person who wins the negotiation is the person who's prepared to pull mm. the trigger. And I thought, I hate you for saying that, but I really hate you because you're right. Yeah. 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 If you don't care that the job's going to walk away and go to someone mm. who will do it for £2,000, you didn't want to do it. Yeah. So you're in a position of strength. I think, I hate things being along gender lines, but I think there's also, 
I think men have quite a lot of fun negotiating with money. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a game and, and we can have fun with it too. Yeah, yeah. it's that kind of so much power in, in, in economic power. And I mean, it seems really simplistic to say women aren't taught it. But it feels like we are. But it's really recent that women weren't earning money. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. It's really yeah. recent that it's, I mean, it's within a century that, you know, the male wage was really high because men supported their entire families. Dads supported their daughters, then gave them away at marriage to another family who now would yeah. financially support her. So, of course, we're learning this for the first time. And yeah, because it was then stepped in after the Second World War, women were on such low wages compared to men and then they were forced back in the house because the 50s happened yeah because it's threatened and what we did to the economy yeah Yeah. I mean I don't know what the the ironically I know the American laws better than the British Mm. laws because it's something I'm writing but you know you couldn't get a bank account in America without your husband or father's signature until 1975 you couldn't rent here you couldn't rent here and my granddad left his first wife she had a daughter and he abandoned them and her I know this from her daughter, who's my mum's half-sister. She's got her mum's diaries, which is she couldn't rent a property after he abandoned her. Her parents had to rent a property for her. It's horrific, isn't it? it? Well, the dependence, the, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it is horrific. And I think this is where women have to, we can forgive ourselves a little bit, is that isn't a long time ago. It wasn't like no, people we haven't telling had us, centuries this is new, a new this. conversation. And if people are, feel reticent or it's unladylike or being given a certain message by society like you're not mad you are being given that message yeah that's true that's a really good point give ourselves a break yeah give ourselves a break I mean I still I get very excited in supermarkets I think supermarkets are my favorite place I always have a very boring life but it's because I can buy anything and I couldn't for years and years and years yeah the idea that and I've and I've had uh, I've had little things that with having childcare actually I'm now meeting younger people who are in a very different financial situation because they Mm. earn an amount per hour and maybe some weeks look very different to others. And I am now conscious in the shops of how I put things through, especially if my son's grabbed a packet of biscuits and I don't look at the price of the packet of biscuits and it beeps through it's six pounds. I've had a thing where I've felt someone else looking at that price thinking six pounds doesn't matter to you. For a packet of biscuits, your son won't eat that he's going to throw on the floor and you're going to just... So I'm not forgetting. I'm not forgetting. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sort of keep a leg in both places where money has a value. But the thing that you get when you, there was a, there was a point with stand-up where I was earning a kind of money where it wasn't just, oh, I can survive this month or the next couple of months. It's like, I can probably survive a year without working. I can probably still pay my rents. And then as that elongated into, I won't have to get a proper job, the freedom the freedom, the fact that I feel like I have choices. That's what you don't have when you don't have money. Yeah, no, no choice. No, and that's what people don't tell you. And you can feel it that it's true. But I do, conversely, I do believe people make incredible works of creativity, even when they have financial constraints and proper jobs and no time. Yes, yeah, totally. Because I think that thing of having 40 minutes on your commute and that's when you write your novel doesn't yeah. mean your novel won't be better than someone who you know hires a country house and has a view. I think you yeah. can create incredible work in adversity it's just also you know not fun for you in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity use rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands including louis vuitton chanel and cartier head to rebag.com and get up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member with code rebag new shop today at rebag.com that's r-e-b-a-g.com and use promo code rebag new for up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What do you think about the way the representation of older women has changed or not in, in TV, but in comedy? There's been a lack of representation. So it's not like there's been a good representation or a negative representation. What there's been is a space. Women are, (laughs) you know, it's like that brilliant Amy Poehler sketch about, you know, your last fuckable day. Oh, it's so brilliant, isn't it? So brilliant because it was so true. But women exist, you know, fertile, attractive, won't talk to me. They're always in relation to how straight men feel about them. Yeah. And then they just... And they quietly go away. Go away. And then they might come back as a granny. Yeah. If lucky. But again, then it's still about nurturing and providing. They still yeah. have a role that's about the straight men. Women are creating a lot more work and they're being facilitated. Platforms should create a lot more work, which means that we are much more interested. Women have been like so thirsty for women's stories. Mm-hmm. I think why podcasting is so exciting. I, I remember the very first podcast I started listening to, which is called My Favourite Murder, and it's too... Karen and, and Georgia talking to each other and I was getting and bear in mind it's about murder yeah <laughs> and I kept thinking why am I so fizzy whenever I listen to them and I realized it's because I don't get to hear women talking to each other uninterrupted yeah and I work I do work with women but never uninterrupted and never just women without that being a huge big deal an international yeah. women's day event kind yeah. Of. yeah yeah it needs one it's day actually, it's a women thing yes it's a women thing yeah. so men didn't want to come <laughs> Um, women are so thirsty for women's stories. And I think obviously it's capitalism with writing. And I'm sure there were moments before this, but Catelyn Moran wrote a book that was sort of, you know, aimed at women, about women and women and men, but really loved it. And then they were like, oh, what? Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Are women going to buy books or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, women were like, oh, you're just, just talking to each other. And so I feel like there's the same thing because I'm 42 now, you know, so I'm getting older and I'm becoming much more interested stories that reflect my experience or other experiences. And yeah, I, I, and that seems to be what's happening when women are making the work. Like Bridget Christie just had a yeah, very successful... Yeah, I just think the change couldn't have happened. Bridget's yeah. thing couldn't have happened three years ago. Well, she says at her, I went to her launch where they showed the first three episodes and she said, I couldn't have made this at any other time in my life and it couldn't have existed at any other time. It was just absolutely so right. right now. There's lots of conversation about it, but a conversation, which is a lot about why hasn't there been conversation? Mm. But it's funny because the last time I was in Edinburgh for the book event, there was a woman in the Q&A who was upset with me. And this is when I was promoting my first book. And she was that animal. Yeah. So she said the question before had been about period tracking apps. And I don't think I'd even been on one at the time, but a young woman was asking me what I thought about period tracking apps. We had a conversation and then this woman stood up and she was so upset with me. She said, you don't understand. You don't understand the things that they, they were held against us for decades. And we had, to, we had to pretend we had to hide everything to be treated with respect. You, she said, your generation, you young women, they're going to use this against you. They're going to say you're mad. They're going to say you can't govern. They're going to say all these things because you talk about your hormones in this way. And she was so upset and it was, everyone in the room was so uncomfortable because no one wanted to diminish her experience, her lived experience mm. of being told explicitly and implicitly yeah. that she was lesser because she menstruated. But at the same time, that wasn't right. And it wasn't yeah. right for women to be quiet. It wasn't okay what happened to her, but it's also not, don't tell young women that they shouldn't talk about it because they won't yeah. be respected. I totally, I totally get where she's coming mm. from because I remember the first time on the pool we did, Anne Friedman wrote it and it was a long read about periods. It was like, I was probably, I was mid forties and I had spent my entire career shoving my tampon up my sleeve. Yeah. And not, never, you know, constantly worried about bleeding through, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. But, you know, you kind of, if you started work in the 80s or arguably early, well, 90s, Mm. whole 90s, you had to not exactly pretend to be a man, but downplay. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, she's obviously on this month. So 
to then go into, which is amazing, people saying, yeah, I've got PMS or I need to work from home two days a month because I get endomet- I've got endometriosis yes. or whatever. That's like a massive shift, but it's a good shift. Really good shift. It's not, a, yeah. like you say, it's not saying you didn't have your experience. Mm. It's just saying, yeah, we're not prepared to yes. put up with it. Because yeah. for me, it was working with those women who were not prepared to put up with any of that shit mm. that made me write the shift and start the podcast. Because I was like, those women will not go quietly into menopause. Yeah. So why the yeah. hell should I? Yeah. It's complete. It's a good change. It's a, it? It, is, it is a good change. It is a good change. But there's still a lot of fear because the narrative that you, you fight for all those things and you still lose. Yeah. Is, is, is yeah, that you get, might be a real giving danger. them weapons. Yeah. You're weaponizing them. Or the other thing is that they've improved, when I say they, the same misogynists. <laughs> yeah. They've improved publicly like racists have. Yeah. But they're still there. Yeah. And they're, and they're better now because they've got... We've given them a language. They can say the right words. They can do the right things. And, and, and yeah, there are people who don't, there are male people who don't really properly empathize with women as human beings. Oh, totally. And it's, it's those. And, and then they, they now hide still very powerfully, still very well. Mm. There's, 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 I think there was something, you know, people, people talk about like the relief of Donald Trump at least being so obvious. Yeah. They were like, there's so many more like him inside their heads. Yeah. Yeah. He's never explicitly saying it. Yeah. It's the whole, nothing makes me more angry than as a father of daughters. Yeah. Because I just think you, it's insidious, so, you isn't had it? absolutely fuck all respect for women until you were involved in the breeding of one. But also, but I still don't think it's respect of women. I think it's ownership of women. Yes. It's because it doesn't feel like, oh, now, oh my gosh, becoming a dad. <laughs> Oh God, you're people. <laughs> You've yeah. been people this entire time. It's not. It's like now that I'm defending my yes. genes, my, yes. uh, I'll decide who. There was, there was this really unhealthy thing when I was growing up and obviously I didn't have a dad who was like this, which is maybe why I noticed it so much, which was boys being scared of going home to meet dads. That felt like so creepy. Like, what the fuck's it got to do with him? Oh, well, it's the whole getting permission. Yes. To yeah. ask someone to, yeah. Yeah, and, and that. that game of like, I guess, charming each other and then, and, and people saying, oh, the, dad, the dads that are strictest are the ones who are the worst because they, they always project what they're thinking in their yeah, heads. What they were doing. Yeah. What they were doing, what they wanted to do. They're projecting that onto other young men. Oh, yes. it's so creepy. It is so it? creepy. It's so creepy. And it's, um, and obviously still, yeah, all, all, all still going on. But in terms of women's stories and women's stories that don't involve women not being subsidiary characters, we just love them, don't we? I mean, yeah. they're, they're just... And, and sometimes you're halfway through something before you realize, why am I, why do I love this so much? Why am I yeah. enjoying it so much? Yeah. Because it's a woman's story. Um, Happy Valley would be oh a prime example for that. I love that story. And every moment, and I kept, the, the last season, I just kept, I kept worrying because I loved it so much. And sometimes, especially with the procedural, they have to, you know, plot wise, just, you know, boom, boom, tighten the bow. And it just yeah. never, ever did. She never, ever did anything. She's so amazing. So amazing. Sally Wainwright, and then to have those performers performing her words. Yeah. 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 I mean, Sarah Lancashire's an incredible actor, isn't she? Yeah, really incredible. I feel really weird asking mm. someone who sat here eight months pregnant okay. about menopause. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, how are you feeling about how, it? How do I feel about menopause? I would have my entire life told you I'm looking forward to it because I've hated having periods so much. Oh, yeah. When people say to me, oh, I really miss periods, I think, yeah. What? Who? Why? How? I, what I've hated about periods is I, I, I've been very, very lucky. I don't class myself as someone who has depression. I haven't had depression. But what I have when I'm due on my period is the depressed, <laughs> I guess, the, the, um, the symptoms of depression, which is that I cannot think of a single reason to be happy. Mm-hmm. I, I, every single, I count through all of my blessings, you know, my mum's alive, my dad's alive. <laughs> I've got some money in the bank. I've got the fact the mm-hmm. dog's there in the garden, there's bees on this flower. And then suddenly, you know, two or three days before, just greyness, like an inside out of the world. There is no reason. There is no reason to be alive. Nothing matters. There's just human pain everywhere. And, and that feeling is so scary because it feels so not conscious. It's not caused by an event. It's not mm. caused by, and, and that's what I've hated is it feels uh, someone, someone's given, my body gave me a drug to go be really sad. And you do have to go out. I still have to do gigs. I still have to talk yeah. to people. You have to function in the world. And, and I've hated that cycle so much. And actually the relief of being pregnant 
the relief of being pregnant with my first pregnancy, I kept saying to people, it's like an antidepressant. Like something really horrible happened in my, to my family, in my extended family while I was pregnant. And um, I really, I actually questioned, am I a psychopath? Because I'm coping with this <laughs> really well. And someone said, oh, it's because you're pregnant. You're full of, you know, estrogen and hormones and the, the elastic hormones. And also I just had nine months off. And then mm. actually you get a few months off afterwards as well. The, the ups and downs, the peaks and troughs. So actually it's that constant, you know, they say the, the boring success. That's yes. being pregnant. Yeah. It's, the, it's not the peaks and troughs. Oh. And also I think they're discovering so much more now about how hormones affect things like anxiety and ADHD. And so, mm. yeah, it's just a horrible cycle. So in some ways, I don't know that the process itself can be really, you know, it's another massive hormonal shift. Yeah. But I, I will not be sad not to menstruate anymore it's the best thing <laughs> it's the best thing and sometimes I think when you start thinking about how much money you've spent on yeah. sanitary protection yeah. and how you spend 30 years with a bloody mattress yeah and those yeah. horrible yeah. all those horrible brown stains yeah just like just always on trousers I for years is. and years couldn't afford I was a toilet paper stuffer for years and years and years oh which gives you even more fear about bleeding through yeah. And was that for overspill of that all of it? No, just because I had just because it was too expensive. I mean, so expensive. that thing of like four pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's that or lunch or my sister used to steal them from other people's houses, stealing a couple of pads or whatever, wherever we went. Now I have the period pants, which are a big financial investment at the beginning, but you wash them. You wash them. Yeah. They sound brilliant though. I wish they existed. They are, when, they are brilliant. And all, all of the fears that people had, I mean, they don't smell. I mean, they don't even smell. Honestly, if you leave them for six weeks in the basket, I mean, you know, I'm a messy, scruffy person. All of the things you worry that might happen, they don't. And yeah, a cold wash gets everything out. And yeah, and and they do ones that last for eight hours that you can wear overnight. So even if you're very heavy, you can buy it. But at the beginning, they are expensive compared to pads and stuff. But in the long run. But when you get to that point, which I got to where my periods were insane and I couldn't, get the train to work without bleeding through you know I had probably I could get through a box of the big ones in day and a half okay I mean it's just like you can't you can't sleep because you're up every yeah no amount of towels no you're up every like hour and a half two hours it's just hideous that is hideous anyway they're gone now (laughs) so was that did that was that on the way to menopause that it started Sorry, getting yeah. heavy no no it's just interesting to know because yeah, I just I think, think no one should have made you go anyway should have been in a hammock <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but I also I mean this is really boring mm. but I also had fibroids and polyps oh, I which see, yeah. I ended up having yeah I didn't I had polyps and, and I didn't realize until yes. I got tests for IVF that that's why we weren't conceiving I didn't I didn't know because it's just one of those things that you don't know about and you don't find yeah, out. Yeah, you just, yeah. I mean, obviously you take it for granted. You either have really heavy or really painful mm. periods. That's just life yes. if you're a woman. Yeah, especially if it's always been that. I've always, ever since 12, I mean, every other period or something, you know, not just the diarrhea, but vomiting and fainting from pain. If I yeah. hadn't taken painkillers in time, and it's only when you, yeah, you speak to other women who did go and have a doctor say, that's not normal. They go, oh, I yeah. thought we were all just, you know, fainting in the park or the shopping centre. Yeah, that's the thing. When you faint, you go to the doctor and they go, it's because you're vegetarian. I mean, literally oh, yeah. happens to me. <laughs> Eat some meat. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then when I finally found a gynecologist, she said to me, that's not normal. No. Anyway, yes, okay. I really yeah. must ask you the right, questions okay. I always ask. Um, what's your emotional age? 15. Why yeah. 15? Because I'm halfway between adulthood and childhood. I'm not quite mature enough to function properly. I don't deal with stuff. We've got mice in our flat, you know, and I quite like them. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't. You need a cat. I would love a Yeah, I would love a cat. We have that. a dog called Mouse who's scared of the mice. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, 15, 15. I've got a debit card. I can get public transport. <laughs> I can function in lots of ways, but not, I don't think I've got true maturity yet. One of the questions I was going to ask you is at what point did you become an adult? But you haven't yet. I think I'm on the cusp. I think I'm on the cusp of adulthood and I'm, my husband has ADHD. So I'm being forced to be the adult in our relationship, which is edging me there against my will. Cause I yeah. was going to be the fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to be the child that didn't have their name on any bills. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. Damn, bad plan. Yeah. Bad plan. Bad organization. Yeah. 
you're probably the last person I should ask this question because we'll be here all day, but mm. give us a book recommendation. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go for something I read recently. I read Penance by Eliza Clark, and I'm recommending that because you like true crime. I've got it on the table over there. Ooh, should, I, should, should I read it next? I really, I really, Eliza Clark's really young. She's very dynamic, very sort of a, a dynamic prose, a really, really readable book that sort of, well, is critiquing, critiquing how we feel about true crime, why we go to it, what we're getting from it, where it's going. I think she herself changed how she felt about true crime as entertainment while she wrote the book. Ah, interesting. But if you it love hasn't it, spoiled true crime podcast for you. Oh no, it hasn't. No, but <laughs> but but it, but it does make you be honest about what you're getting from it if it's entertainment and why and uh, and, it, and it's a page turner. So it's not like it's you're not getting lectured. It's, Never. Yeah. So that's one I've read recently. That's really great. Brilliant. What advice would you give younger women? I would do, I would say that thing about not don't being too hard on yourself. I think it's very difficult advice to take. But I don't think I would ever have taken any of the advice. And we all think we're hard on ourselves because we're really shit (laughs) and it's really useful. And also sometimes I think people worry that if they don't, they'll do less or achieve less. But just so much of the hardship is like just looking really, who is it telling you you're terrible? I know that there is criticism in the world, but a lot of it is you. So it's like if you could just ease off occasionally, because the men aren't doing that to themselves in the same way. It's really true. And, it's, and it is sad that you can't just go like, yeah, it's fine. Forgive yourself. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Do you do that though? Do you forgive yourself or do you carry it around? I think I, I, I've, I do forgive myself much more. I try to, and I, I try to be content with, I'm absolutely not a perfectionist. I, I say a bad gig would be a prime example. A bad gig feels really bad you know people came out to enjoy themselves and you didn't quite do it and you're better than you were or they think you are but they also so then you but then you have to go I'm tired I've did this I mean none of these are none of this takes away from the fact that the gig was bad but come on now not all your gigs can be good like I think you can reframe it slightly and go you're a human being you're on your period (laughs) or whatever the reason is you were hungry you had you know someone said something before you went on on Twitter and it was in your head just for whatever Mm. reason going you didn't do it on purpose. Everyone's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your old bird role model? Well, there's women who aren't that much older than me. That's in comedy. Right, well, actually, I'll say Joe Brand. And the reason is that when sometimes when women are quite ubiquitous, we take them for granted. Joe Brand. Like Victoria Wood. Like Victoria Wood. Point, yes. So, you know, and also with those women that they're anomalies. I get asked a lot about how there used to be no women in comedy and there were always women in comedy. There was no space for women in comedy. There were always mm. women gigging. There were always women stand-ups. There were very few who made it through to TV. So they get to go, there was one, Joe Brand, or there's one, uh, Victoria Wood and Joe Brand, mm. or Jenny Eclair. Like, they get yeah. listen on one hand. Joe yeah. Brand had children in her 40s, which I didn't know until she came on a show when I was pregnant with my first. And I love, I love it, especially when they're now, their children are now adults because you have this fear that you'll be so old and decrepit. <laughs> and actually, um, and Joe Brand, you know, she's just steadily maintained not only her work consistency and how good she is, but she's wonderful to work with us and she's happy to be there. She's, some of the men are really grumpy. They're really grumpy. They're so over it. They don't want to be there anymore. They actually shouldn't be taking up those spaces. And Joe Brand does her writing, improvises, exciting to meet new comics. Everyone who meets her is so amazed that she like even cares who they are. It's actually quite a political with a small P way to act yeah and so um her work is really good she is really wonderful and I think it's really easy to take someone for granted and what they represent the fact that she's always been there for women who want to go into comedy but interesting as well that she doesn't feel still now doesn't feel like she's too big and important yes but she has had she has a story about doing a corporate where um Joe Brown also has never they, the men tried to shut her up when she did jokes that were anti-men, very funny jokes. And the whole, so she was told not to talk about her periods. She had a routine that we loved so much on through the cake hole about sitting on a white sofa, a neighbor's white sofa with her period. And that's the joke. It's like this yeah, horrible that's... neighbor with their white sofa. Hearing that as a teenager on a video through the cake hole again and again with my sister Cheryl was probably a big part of me having no shame about talking about my period or when I did bleed on things. My mum didn't tell me you might bleed on things. Joe Brand did. Yeah, such a good point. And, it, and she told me without shame or embarrassment. And she, yeah, she had like a man-hating 
style of comedy, which she still sometimes, I mean, she does still times do, but the world tried to tell her to stop doing it or that women were only funny if they were picking on men. Men were so defensive to her. She had a corporate in recent years where a man whispered to her, whispered to her on stage, um, I never knew you were such a cunt. And he said it so she, it wasn't on the microphone and no one else heard that he tried to humiliate her and she into the microphone told everyone what he'd just said. Good for her. I know. So I, mean, I think she's like hugely brave and probably because she's been yeah. around for a long time, we don't notice yeah, all the totally time. Take yeah, for granted. Take for granted. That's a good point. What's your superpower? I've got a good memory. <laughs> I've got a very good memory. Um, but you but, need it. Yes. And I think stand up really trains you. People said about getting pregnant, having mummy brain and stuff. And I think because my job involves so many words in such an order, I mean, I do write them on my hands, you can see. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. But then I can't say anything. I only just I think, notice them. I think, oh. I did, I did remember it all. I did say it. So yeah, and it is a superpower because I know that with age, and also reading books, if you read a lot, it all blends into one and you can't remember any characters and yeah. those kind of thing. I you misremember things. I actually write down, I actually keep a list of what I've read because I literally can't remember. Yeah. And especially if you read a lot of crime and this is no mm. diss on crime writers mm. at all. I, you can't remember, I can't always remember which particular book, which murder was. Yes, and, happened in. I find myself, uh, you know, uh, tra- travel double eight Smiths thinking, you know, I want a book for the journey. This one sounds fantastic. And like 11 pages in. Oh, I've read it. I've read it. Yeah. So I think I've read all the Leanne Moriarty's three times. So I keep reading the back and thinking I haven't read it. And then starting yeah. going, it's the one with the pond. <laughs> I have read this one. Yeah. Last one. How many facts did you give? Oh, t- too many. I'm not, I'm, I don't have that lovely, no. Mm. I really envy people who do. Catherine Ryan, really, and I've been her friend for a long time watching her. She must secretly give a fuck about something and she doesn't. She, she must doesn't. care about what someyone thinks. No, she doesn't. And it's um, it's really enviable. That's a real superpower. It, that's a real superpower. And it means that you get to have a nice life or a nicer life. And again, yeah. that's that thing about if you can choose to just let some of it go, we must, mustn't we? Yeah, it's a learning. I'm better at it, but not yet. I, I think if if you're I think I think if you're wired for people pleasing and that happens in childhood and, and it just doesn't go away. Oh, thank you so much. Thank it's you so fantastic. much. Fantastic. I'm sorry I couldn't deliver a cat. I've got no oh. idea where he is. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like my conversations with comedian Josie Long and Carrie Ad Lloyd, Sarah and Carrie Ad's weirdo book club partner. You'll find a link to all of those things in the show notes. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow, because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like more of The Shift in your life, head over to theshiftwithsambaker.substack.com and sign up for weekly newsletters, podcast extras and more. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.